welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David concludes our series on opposites with a look at spirit versus flesh. Let's listen. So to get us thinking about this, uh, let me begin with an experience I had. It was after my sophomore year of college, and I was looking for a summer job. And I had a friend say, oh, uh, I'm doing college pro painting, and why don't you come and join us? And I said, well, I've, I've never done that before. I'm not a painter. And he said, that's fine. That's fine. They'll train you, and then you can paint. So I said, fine. I didn't have anything else to do, and, and they did. They, they trained me uh, how to paint that first week. They said, you know, here's how you hold a paintbrush, and here's when you use a roller, here's how you avoid drips, you know, all of those things. And I felt pretty good about it. And then the second week, my crew was given kind of our first assignment. And it was a large two-story house in a suburb of Seattle. And what I learned was that there's only so much you can paint on a two-story house without climbing a ladder. So eventually, about midway through the week, uh, my crew leader said, Hey, David, there's a section that you can only reach from the roof. Can you go climb up and do it? I said, sure, okay. And so I climbed this very tall and very steep ladder, and I can distinctly remember getting to the top, and I'm uncomfortable because I'm holding, you know, a gallon of paint in one hand, a, a paintbrush in another, and I realize that when you're at the top of a ladder, you can't just step right onto the roof. There's a little maneuver you have to do where you step around the ladder onto the roof, uh, to help you imagine it, we've got a little picture that we can show you on the screen to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's painting. Well, I, I get up there, and I realize in that moment, I'm nervous. I'm very high up, and I, it's never been one to strike me as someone who is afraid of heights. But in that moment, I thought, oh my goodness, how do I get on this roof? And my crew leader is already on the roof and he's just grinning. He's seeing this whole thing happening. And I ask him, what do I do? And he says, well, you just have to take a step. And he was right. I had to be confident enough, maybe crazy enough, to take a step off of the ladder onto the roof and then keep going. I have to tell you, like most things, the first step is the hardest. It got a little bit easier after that because the entire summer, we're painting large houses. I'm climbing ladders. But by the end of the summer, I felt like I could climb ladders in my sleep. But I had to take that first step first. So we're talking about first steps today. First steps into areas that you might say, ooh, I'm a little uncomfortable. Or I don't totally understand where this might lead. Now, the way this all comes together is thinking about what we're talking about today. Today is Pentecost. So today is the celebration of the Holy Spirit coming into the world. And I recognize that for many Christians, we're not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. God, we understand. J Jesus, absolutely. But the Holy Spirit? What do I do with the Holy Spirit? And so I'm going to ask you to take a step today. A step towards us better understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives because it is so important and so life-changing. 
Today is also the last week of our Opposites series. So starting next week, remember all those questions that you turned in, we're going to start our series based completely on your questions. That will take us throughout the summer, where every week we'll study a different question deposited by the congregation or submitted by the congregation. But today is our last week of the Opposite series where we study the contrasts of the Bible. And so today's contrast is spirit or flesh. That's what you're going to see in our scripture today. And again, it's not flesh like flesh your body, but it's am I living a life that is led by the spirit or am I living a life that's led by me? And that's the difference. So if you were with us last week, we studied the first half of Romans chapter 8. If you missed it, you can go catch up online or through the podcast. But today, we're going to continue that discussion, and we're going to look at the second half of Romans chapter 8, where Paul speaks about the importance of the Spirit in a person's life. Now, Paul kind of sets the scene with a very provocative statement. Here's what he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, I want us to all begin by making a list of our present sufferings. You can either make a mental list or maybe a list on the back of your bulletin, but be thinking, what are sorts of the the things in your life right now that you're struggling with? Uh, Are you dealing with an illness right now? And if you are, I hope you're watching online and you're not here in person, but we all deal with illnesses. Or is it just the aches and pains of of living this life? Is there a mental health struggle with you or your family right now? Or is it just general stress, anxiety that comes with living? Gosh, if we kept going, we could make a very long list of our present sufferings, couldn't we? And our sufferings are real and they are painful. But Paul says they cannot compare with God's future glory. So what you're going to see is throughout this second half of Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to contrast how life is now with how it will one day be. He says right now we suffer, but one day God's glory will be fully revealed. And the glory of God is so astounding that once experienced, you'll realize that your present sufferings could in no way compare with that glory. Yes, God's glory is going to make the hardships that you go through in this life seem worth it. And guess what? God's glory is not only going to be revealed to us as individuals, but the entire world is going to witness the glory of God. At least that's what Paul says next. He uses these words creation to talk about the entirety of the world. And Paul says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Okay, so that's a lot of words for Paul to basically say, not only do we wait for that one day 
when our present sufferings will be no more. But creation itself also waits for its bondage and decay to end. Yes, creation is also suffering. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we are told that, that after Adam and Eve chose to live apart from God, they were the stewards of creation. And God said, well, there's a list of consequences that come from humanity choosing to live apart from God. And one of those consequences is that the earth itself will suffer. And we see that today, don't we? I mean, we as humans are meant to be the stewards of the earth, and we don't always do that job very well. And so Paul uses the words decay, bondage, to talk about the struggles of creation and the world. And I don't believe he means those to be poetic language. I believe that that's actually what we're seeing. Think of a couple of examples. The planet right now is subject to rapid deforestation. And it's because us, humans, are exploiting the natural resources. We have polluted the waters and the lands in countless ways. Yes, Paul says creation itself is suffering. So, we are all waiting for God's future glory to be revealed. But how do we know that's actually going to happen? How do we know that God's glory, the one day in the future, is actually going to someday be today? Well, that's what Paul wants to talk about next, why we can be so confident in this assertion. He says, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is a sign for us that one day God's glory will come. The word he uses is foretaste. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of what will one day be here fully in reality. Now that word foretaste is interesting because in Greek it's an agricultural word. And so what I want you to imagine is a farmer who's going out and he's sowing a whole bunch of seeds and then he waits. And then one day he sees his crops begin to sprout. And he goes and he, he checks out the first fruits of the crops and he sees, are they healthy? Because what's coming up first is going to give a taste of what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. So will it be a bountiful harvest? I don't know. Let me go look at the initial crops. I get a foretaste of what is to come. So that's what that term means. But Paul uses it not to talk about crops, but to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost, after all. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit today in our lives and in the lives of the church means that we can be confident in what one day will come. That we live in a world where we are yearning for the glory of God to be made fully manifest. And the first crop, the first sign that that is actually going to happen is the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in you is a promise of God's glory yet to come. So on this Pentecost Sunday, 
I want us all to take a step forward towards really wrestling with that, towards seeking understanding of that fact that Paul claims. And so what Paul turns to next is to say, what does this look like in our lives? What is the practical nature of the Spirit of God being present in us? How does that affect us? And he begins by saying something really interesting. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's one way the Spirit of God is active in your life today. It's when when you're going through a time of weakness, when your list of present sufferings is very challenging, the Spirit of God is right there seeking to help you. Now, when I studied this verse this week, a question came to my mind, and the question was, how? How does the Spirit of God help us when we are at our weakest? And uh, so I did what I generally do if I have a question about Scripture and I want to know more. Is I, I went to the original language, in this case Greek, and I looked at each word saying, is there any sort of nuance here that can help me really understand what Paul means when he says this? And I came across that word, help. Now, help, it's such a short word in English, right? Just four letters. So I was very surprised to see what it looks like in Greek. Do you want to see the word help? Let's get that on the screen. It's much longer, isn't it, in Greek? There's a lot more going on with this little English translation word of help. So there were two things that really stood out to me when I studied this word. The first is the prefix of it, sin. It means to be closely identified with. So the help that we receive from the Spirit is meant to come in a very close and intimate way. What that means is that God knows exactly what you need and exactly when you need it at your most intimate level. The Spirit of God is seeking to help you with what you need most. It's it's almost like God's Spirit is seeking to partner with us to make it through this life, particularly when we're at those lowest moments, when we are in our weakness. So it's a very close and intimate sort of help. But then the second thing that really stood out to me was the, the middle section, lambano. That means to aggressively lay hold of something. Now that was surprising to me. I was like, oh, why does this word imply a sort of aggressive type of help? But really what I think it means is that the Spirit of God is not lackadaisical. Uh, God's Spirit seeking to help you is not half-hearted in that approach. The Spirit is aggressively seeking to help and assist us with our most intimate needs. Yes, this is an action-oriented word. So when Paul says that the Spirit helps us with our weakness, he means that the Spirit— partners with us in a fierce, devoted type of way in the times that we need it most. Yes, when you are at your weakest, God is active on your behalf. When I try to picture this sort of fierce love, the analogy that just kept coming to my mind was the analogy of a mama bear. Uh, Because even if you're not a hiker, you know never to get in between a mama bear and the cubs, right? Why? It's because the mom has such a fierce 
and devoted and protective love that it will become overly aggressive to anyone or anything that gets in between those things. That's sort of what this word is implying here, saying that the Spirit of God, when God sees you at a time of weakness, when you're in a time of authentic need, God's saying there's nothing that's going to get in my way to me seeking to help you. The Spirit of God, in a fierce and devoted way, is seeking to help you in your weakness. Now, he goes on next to describe an example of what that might look like. And I think there's many. I think there's many different examples, but here's one that Paul chooses. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Do you ever have moments where you just don't know what to pray for? Maybe you're trying to pray. You go before God, but you say, God, I've got nothing. I don't have words. I don't know what to pray for. But God is saying in that moment, God is still praying for you. The Spirit is interceding for you. That means that whenever you are in a time of trouble, you are not alone in that moment. The Spirit of God is actively interceding for you, speaking to your heart and seeking to have you remember that God is there in that moment. So, Think back to that long list of present sufferings that we all have. Whatever hardship you face, know that God is right there with you, aggressively interceding on your behalf in the way that you need it most. Paul believes this so much that he believes that in all things, God is really going to work for good. And that's what he says next. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I hope you see Paul's theme here, where Paul is saying that the Spirit is working in and through all things, good, bad, or otherwise, God is in it. And God will not allow the bad things of our lives to be the last things of our lives. Yes, God is at work, even in our worst situations, aggressively interceding to create something good. This is why Paul believes that our present sufferings cannot compare with the future glory of God. Because God is moving all of creation, and that includes us, to a place of ultimate goodness and redemption. Now, I imagine after this next verse, Paul just has to pause, has to take a deep breath. And then he asks this. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What do you think? Based off of all we've learned so far today, based off of all we've read, what can we say in response to the news that the Spirit of God is at work in us and in our world moving it all towards a place of redemption. I mean, what should we say about the news that God is moving all things towards good? What can you say to that? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If this is what God is doing in the world, 
What could possibly stop it? If God plans to redeem the world in this way, nothing will ever be able to derail that plan. God's love for you and this world is unstoppable, Paul says. Now, are you ready for his big finish? I mean, he has been moving towards this point from the very beginning, from chapter 8, verse 1, when he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That was his starting point, and then he's been building to show us that really God is at work in all things, moving us to a place of ultimate hope and redemption. And so if that's where Paul's headed, then these last four verses are going to be very important for him. And what I'd like to do is I just want to read them in full, because you will then get a very good sense of what Paul is trying to get us to understand at the end of chapter 8. Here's what he says. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor the present or the future, nor powers or height or depth of any kind, no nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul's conclusion here is that God's love is the driving force of the universe. Nothing can deter it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can impede it. It is at work in all of the moments of your life, the best and the worst, the highest peaks and the lowest valleys. God's love is like a river like the current that you just can't move against because it is pushing all things towards good and towards redemption. This is the state of the world. This is the state of reality. And the sign that this is true, the reason that we can be confident in this belief, the Spirit of God is living in you. We have been given a glimpse of this a preview, a foretaste. That is the meaning of Pentecost. So happy Pentecost. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church podcast. Have a great week.